Hey everybody, thanks so much for participating in this phase of online only. We really appreciate you being here and I want you to know this, we're praying for you. We're praying for your concerns, we're praying for what you're going through, for your fears, everything. It's really important. So if you have something specific that you want us to know that we can pray about, because we definitely are taking all of these requests and concerns that come to us and praying specifically for them as staff, uh, please hit that prayer button. Let us know uh, what it is. Or if you know somebody in need, please let us know what it is. Pastor Derek talked about that just a few minutes ago um, as well. So but please do that. We, uh, we do want to pray for you, and we are concerned about all this. So know that we uh, are here for you in whatever we can do. I also need to just take a second and thank all of our amazing people, talented people who are on our AVL team who have just gone way in, but I mean, we literally could not do this without our AVL team. Ed's video team, uh, they have turned our office into a studio. We've got all these bright lights on me right now. We've got the temperature down. We could hang meat, you know, uh, in this uh, office space now. But uh, Steve, who is on the video team, Steve Smith on the video team with Ed, has brought in so much equipment, huge, huge help. Pandela and her lighting team and Ben and his sound team and Kara and Harrison, their music teams, awesome professionals to serve alongside of. And just a huge thank you to all of them uh, for everything they've done and, and what they've given to make this happen. Okay, today we want to talk about getting some rest. It's really important to rest. Many of us are stuck in our houses, but do we truly feel rest? What is this rest that we are destined for in the Bible. Doctors have been telling us for years it's important to get good quality sleep, good quality rest. If we don't get it, we're going to drive, we're going to drive, we're going to be drowsy, we're going to fall asleep. 6,000 people every year die because of fatalities resulted from drowsy driving. We're going to be irritable at home or at work. Who wants that? We don't need that. We have all kinds of other problems. Dementia, heart disease, early death. Wow. Sleep is essential. It is definitely needed, but just not any sleep. We don't need any kind of rest. We need REM rest, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. That's deep inner healing, right? therapeutic sleep. This is what we need. REM sleep is when we have our dreams, everybody. So if you can remember a dream, or you have a phase of your sleep, you're having, you're in REM, most likely. You're in REM sleep. During REM, it's like a data dump for our brains. It lessens our stress. If we are getting good quality REM, it lessens our stress and it helps us to be at our best. Well, that's what I want. I want to be at my best and I want to reduce my stress levels. It also reduces our fear, fear levels. When we get good quality REM, it helps us to deal with the challenges of life. We have a big challenge right now, don't we? Good REM sleep actually helps us to deal and navigate with the challenges of life. We have better judgment. We don't overreact to situations. REM is so important. Alzheimer's and depression are linked to poor quality REM. If we don't get good REM, we have a higher susceptibility for PTSD. Think about all that. University of California, Berkeley professor of psychology, Matthew Walker, says this about REM sleep where we have our dreams. This is what he says. I think of dreaming as overnight therapy. So when we're having that deep rest, it's like therapy. For our lives. That is what Sabbath rest is about. That's the importance of Sabbath. And we began to talk, we began talking about this last week. 
We need to get to the point where we have deep inner healing rest, and that's what God wants for you. That's what God is destined for you, according to the Bible. He's destined you to have that deep inner healing rest. This is our focus today. Psalm 127 says, God speaking, I will give you rest. Jesus famously says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Literally in the Greek, which that's written in, it says, I will rest you. I will rest you. I'll put you at a place of rest. Now, John chapter five, we've just been trekking our way through this biography of Jesus as told to us by John is a major turning point in the story. He is being persecuted. So everything is leading up to Easter. And that, if you look at it as a culmination moment of Easter, in a lot of ways begins in John chapter 5. Because that's at, at that moment, they begin to persecute him and they set their hearts or intent on actually executing him. Turning point is where we're talking about today. And it's all about the Sabbath. Think about that. There's a controversy about Sabbath. Their lives revolved around the Sabbath. You might be thinking, you know, John, what does the Sabbath have to do with me? I mean, that's kind of old school. I mean, decades ago in the state of Virginia, we used to have these laws. We called them blue laws. I said that last week where things you couldn't work on Sunday. Businesses had to shut down on Sunday. How is that relevant to today in 2020? I mean, the only people thinking about the Sabbath is Chick-fil-A or Kanye West, who's singing about closed on Sundays and how good the lemonade is at Chick-fil-A. And it is very good. I have to admit that. It's one of the best lemonades i ever had in my life. But what does the Sabbath actually have to do with us? Well, the Sabbath is described, the word Sabbath actually literally means rest. And the rest we receive is this deep inner healing rest, this therapeutic rest, like REM rest. So it actually has a lot to do with us. This is what we're going to try to unpack today. So John 5, pick the story up, man lying on his mat for 38 years. Why could nobody help him for 38 years? I don't know. Nobody's helped him. Jesus heals him. When he heals him, he says, pick up your mat and walk. Controversy starts because he heals him on the Sabbath. You can't carry a mat. This is part of the problem. Like, what is the problem? Why are we arguing about carrying a mat? What's the big deal? Man got healed after 38 years. There's a deeper meaning. We're going to get to it. The controversy is all around the Sabbath. And now they confront Jesus on why did he do it. And look what he says back. John 5, 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, there's the controversy. It's a bigger controversy. It keeps going, actually, for the next couple chapters. The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus says, now check out what he says. My father is always at work. You got to rest on the Sabbath. My father is always at work to this very day. And by the way, I too am working. Now, how does that bring us rest? So they're like, you have to rest on the Sabbath. He's like, nope, God's always working. I'm always working, but you got to rest. So there's obviously a misunderstanding of exactly what rest is. To them, rest was confining. It was restrictive. There's things that you could not do. That's the way they viewed the Sabbath. And they thought that God is resting. He's doing no work. So obviously, their understanding of what rest is, our understanding of what rest is, is different from God's understanding of rest. So this is, we have to dig in to figure out what this is all about. God says, I'm always working. This isn't a one-of-kind kind of thing, right? Kind of thing, where he heals me. I'm always working. So what does rest mean? Does, does rest mean we put our feet up and we watch Netflix? This is an interesting time for us, isn't it? Like the only time in human history that we can save the world by doing nothing. 
by confining ourselves to our houses and watching Netflix. And even though we're resting in that sense that our feet are up and we're watching Netflix, do we really feel at rest? Do we really feel that deep inner peace, healing rest going on in our lives? Do you feel that way? So what is true rest? Because we're told in Genesis 1 that on the seventh day, God rested. Did God put his feet up? Now, obviously, that's an anthropomorphism. Uh, God uh, doesn't have a physical body. He doesn't need rest. He never gets tired. So what is actually being said here? What is the true rest he's receiving? It's the kind of rest when you are fully satisfied by something. When you, something brings you great joy, you're like, like, I feel that way after I have a great meal. I'm like, yes, that was awesome. Have you ever said that about anything? Yes, and you just feel great. You said this last week. Genesis chapter 1, if we don't understand Genesis chapter 1, if we have a misunderstanding, science would say to us, you don't need Genesis chapter 1. But if we thoroughly understand Genesis chapter 1, science says we can't live without Genesis chapter 1. So what is this rest that God has worked himself towards that we find in the opening pages of Genesis? Well, everything I've ever needed to know about the depths of Sabbath, everything I've ever needed to know about the Sabbath, I have learned from my wife. Here's the thing. When our kids are out, my wife can't rest. But when the kids come home and they're in the house and the locks are working and the smoke alarm is working and the security alarm is working and they're in bed and they're well fed, she can rest. She can sleep. Now, she might fall asleep before all that happens, but she's not sleeping. She's not resting. There's no therapy going on at all. But when she knows everything is okay, that our kids are safe and in bed and well-fed, she's at rest. That's the rest that God receives. God looks at everything that he did in Genesis chapter one and how he covenants, how he covenants with all of creation. Covenant is a cosmic contract. Covenant is an unbreakable contract. Covenant is unconditional love. God says, I will restore all things. And when God looks at that safety that he puts around all of his creation, protects it, God loves his creation. He created it. When you create something, you have a special bond to it. God has a special bond. I'm not going to let it go. I love all people. I love all the universe. I'm going to restore it to mint condition. When God takes a step back and rests and looks at that, he says, "Ah, yes, they're going to be safe because I have created this eternal bond of unconditional love to all of creation. And now God is at rest. So I'd like to use REM, R-E-M, to remind us of some very important things that will help us find a place of deep, inner healing Sabbath rest. The R stands for this, remember to meditate. You must, must remember to meditate. The word Sabbath in Hebrew comes from three Hebrew root words. The first one is this. It means to stop, ponder, think, meditate. It's like you would say to somebody who's rushing, whoa, 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 slow down, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. I need you to stop and think about something. I need you to stop and think about something. That's the first word that comes. I need you to stop and think about something. Second word is home or eternal or, or internal or community, family, friends, relationship. Third word, covenant. Covenant, unbreakable contract, unconditional contract. So those three words. So basically, put them all together. What is the Sabbath? It's a time that we think and meditate on God's unconditional love, limitless love, restorative love, 
for all of his creation. Now, why do we need that so much? The book of Exodus says that the Sabbath, every seven days, once a week, is a perpetual reminder. When does Sabbath start? Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. We have a perpetual reminder, a weekly reminder that we must keep being reminded of what Sabbath truly, we need to meditate on what it truly means. Now, why would we need to do that? Why can't we just be told once or twice and be done with it? You know why? Because human nature is so strong. Human nature is like, pulls us. What does it pull us in the direction of? It pulls us in the direction of understanding God in our image and in our likeness. Let me, let me explain that. In Numbers chapter 14, we're told that the Israelites, they, they finally are freed by God from Egypt. They end the slave, God ends the slavery. They go out into the wilderness. They get right up to the promised land, which is called the land of rest. They're right up to the edge of really entering into deep rest. And they get afraid of going in because of the challenges that are there. And then they make this statement, which really tells us a lot about their thinking. This is why it's important to meditate on this on a weekly basis. They get up right at the edge of it, and they're afraid of going in, and they say, God, very upset, God, you've brought us out here to destroy us. Now, that tells you a lot about the way they felt about God. And many of us feel the same way. Sometimes we're like, God, where are you? God, why are you doing this? God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you making my... Okay, we, those thoughts just rage through our head. Here's the thing, everybody. Repeatedly, we are told to put God first, to trust God first, to seek God first. Why in the world, everybody, does God put such a huge emphasis on him first, him first, him first, him first? Why all of us? Does God on some kind of big ego trip that he's always got to be first? He's got to be lifted high above everybody else. Here's why. Because whatever is at the top, whatever's at the top of your thing, whatever's most really important to you, not what you say, but what truly is for you and for me, what is the top? Shapes the rest of everything. So if God isn't first, what we end up doing is we end up creating a God in our image. So in the world of Genesis and Exodus, the opening page of the Bible, what was the most common thing? What was the only thing, actually? What was the only thing? Is a God who had conditional love, a God who had fickle love. Now, that totally makes sense because that's the kind of love I have. It's the kind of love you have, too. Our loves have condition. Our loves you know, that we have has like a point, like it won't go past that point. Like it reaches that point and won't go beyond because that's a God created in our image. And God says, no, no, I actually need you every single week. This is going to be deep therapy for your souls. If you're reminded, if you meditate, if you're stop and you think about this, that God has covenanted an unconditional love, a love that knows no limits, a love that doesn't know a point where it's like, yeah, you can go this far, but not farther. A God that doesn't have that stopping point. I mean, that's the whole point of Easter, and I can't get it in today, but that's where we're headed on Easter Sunday. That's what the cross is like. It's not like, I'll, I'll actually go this far. I'll go beyond what you could ever imagine. That's what God's saying. I'll go beyond what you could ever imagine because of my love for you. And I, I need you to meditate and think about that every single week. Stop and do that. They, weren't do, they never entered the rest, the Israelites, in the desert. They didn't enter the rest because... They had a misunderstanding of God. They were looking at God in their image, a conditional God, when God says, I love you unconditionally. That'll transform everything. We must, must meditate on that on a weekly basis. Now, there's a great verse in the Bible. Psalm 118 
at the very least, is an extremely unique chapter. Some people say, mathematically, is it the exact center of the Bible? Genesis to Revelation, Psalm 118 is the exact center. I don't know about that. I've never done the math. I'm actually not that good at math. But I can tell you this. It is unique from the standpoint that the shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117, and the longest is 119, and right in the middle is Psalm 118. And here's what verse 1 says, and actually it repeats this phrase over and over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And then it just keeps saying, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. I get the point. His love endures forever. That's covenant love. That's an unbreakable contract. That's unconditional love. That's a love that knows no limits. That's how God loves you. That's how God loves other people. That's the way we need to walk around the world. So, so on the Sabbath, I'm reminded on a weekly basis, I set myself up for the rest of the week to have rest by realizing for me, for others, for the entire universe of all God's creation that God loves with an unconditional, limitless love. That is very, very different from looking at the world and saying, God has conditions. That's extraordinarily different. If we meditate on that, that will begin to take us towards that deep inner rest. So that's R, remember to meditate. E, engage in praise. Why would I want to engage in praise? Well, there's some pretty good reasons to engage in praise. If we want deep, deep healing rest. Like when I'm falling asleep at night, I don't fall asleep very well if I think that things are going to break while I'm sleeping. I, I have to know that everything's okay. I got to know that the, the roof is going to work. So sometimes um, where our house is, a lot of big trees around. And sometimes when it, the wind is blowing really hard, I get a little bit nervous. And I think, man, I should, I should get up and go to the basement. I should take all the family to the basement. Sometimes I'm so tired that I don't do that. I'm like, oh, it'll be okay. But there's that nervousness there. And I don't get a deep sleep. It's a very fitful sleep. I don't go into that REM sleep because I'm not trusting. I'm not trusting that the roof is going to be working. If I forget to let the, set the lock or the alarm at night, I'm like, did I do that? I don't bother getting up out of bed to check it. I don't know if it's working. I got to know that things are working so I can be resting. If things aren't working, I can't be resting. And the same is true of you. And this is what Jesus is saying in John chapter 5. That's why he says, I'm always working. Why is that such an important thing? Oh, it's really important. Psalm 121 says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now check out this next point. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you, Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. Why do we engage in praise? Because praise God, he's on the job. He's not sleeping. He had not take time off. He's not on vacation. He hasn't laid down to take a nap. No, no, no. He's always working. Why is that important? Because you're going through stuff right now. Our world is going through some serious stuff right now. Would it be very disconcerting to think to ourselves, ah, I guess God's taking a break. He's on vacation. He's asleep. He's resting. Because Genesis 1 says, never stop resting in the seventh day. He's resting. No, 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 no. God says, no, you need to know this. I'm always working for you. So as you're going through health concerns, as you have fears, if you have financial problems, whatever you are dealing with, you need to know this. We can engage in praise because God is always fighting for you. God is always working for you. Romans chapter 8, very well-known verse, famous verse actually, that God is working. Even when things are bad, God is working for your good. He's battling away for your good. Now, I can tell you a lot of stories in my personal life about this. Lots and lots of stories. I'll pick just one because it has to do with Grace Community Church. 
Right before Grace Community Church started, I was on staff at another church. This church was having a total meltdown. There was somebody on staff at this church was making terrible decisions, decisions that have to do with character, and it was causing the entire church to implode. And it put me in a terrible place. I'm like, God, where are you? Things were melting down. It put me in a crisis, a mental health crisis because of the stress I was under because of that. Um, it put me in an emotional crisis. It put me in a financial crisis. And it put me in a career crisis for sure. Because I told God after the church imploded, I said, okay, uh, I'll do anything you want me to, God. Anything. You pick the job, I'll do it. Except for one job I definitely will never, ever do again. And that is I'll never be a pastor again. Didn't want to do it. So it put me in a crisis financial, career, emotional, mental, all this. I was in a crisis. God, where are you? You're nowhere to be found. But God says, I'm working. I'm fighting. Now I look back and I, in my rear view mirror, so to speak, and I see God was working. He was battling away from me. He was turning terrible circumstance into something that was good. I couldn't imagine it at the time. But I could go to those scriptures like you and I can go to those scriptures right now, as bad as it seems, and know that God is battling away for us. And as a result of this, God did turn all this into good. Grace Community Church would not exist if that had not had happened. Grace would have never started. But here we are today. And I say this all the time. I am so blessed by the amazing people in this community. The greatest people, the best people in this city go to Grace Community Church. And all it has done has been a huge blessing, encouragement, and inspiration to me. So God was at work. Now check out Joshua 23, 1, because this is what it says. The Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies. So God is fighting for Israel and God is fighting for you to give you deep rest. So as you're going through this time, how can you have rest instead of being stressed? Know that God is fighting for you because God loves you. He is always working. The Sabbath is a constant reminder that God is fighting for you. God is for you, so who can be against you? The intent of the Sabbath is not to confine or restrict. It's to bring joy that God is always at work. That's what Sabbath means. Final one. So R, remember to meditate. E, engage in praise. God is always at work. M, make your move. Now, I've said this once. I've said it twice. John chapter 5 is the turning point here. God is calling us to action. So we've been talking about in this series that today's the last of the series. Who are you? We talk about identity. Who is, what is Jesus's identity? John makes it real. That's his whole focus point. I want you to understand the identity of Jesus Christ. And we've been creating his image. So who he is, I figure out who I am because of who he is, because I'm creating his image. Now it begins to be this shift to what I do. In John, Jesus famously calls us as his followers, to become famous for love. And love, in Judaism, is a verb. It's something that I do. It's works. He calls us to works, to good works. Ephesians chapter 2 says we've been created for good works. Well, he created us. So he knows what actually brings life and inspiration to us. And that is actually following in his likeness, being conformed to his image, doing the things that we see Jesus Christ doing in the scriptures. That is why we get so jazzed up when we hear about people doing good stuff for other people, because it inspires love as a verb. The rabbis used to say that God is pure act or pure action, that God is active and he is inviting us to participate in his good works in this world. And here's the thing, everybody, to this point, that's where real life comes. 
Jesus says, I didn't come to give you a little bit of life. He says in John 10, 10, I've come to give you abundant life. Bishop Irenaeus, second century bishop said, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. God doesn't want to take something from you. He wants to give something to you. Tremendous joy. And that is found when we begin to act, when we begin to make our move. You and I have both been inspired if we have, uh, well, I'm sure you're doing this just as I am. I'm monitoring all these great things that people are doing and how people are helping other people out. It's just fantastic. People are giving. It's better to give than to receive and how people are giving to other people. We had a staff meeting the other day and in staff meeting on, on Zoom, we were talking about doing Corona caroling. What's Corona caroling? Well, people in nursing homes and retirement homes, they can't even leave the room much less actually exit, you know, the building. But they can't even leave the room. They're talking, let's take small groups of us, social distancing, small groups of us, and go around and sing songs to bring joy uh, to senior citizens. You've heard about senior citizens that are scared to death to go into a grocery store and other people here, give me your list. I'll take care of it for you. I'll buy your groceries. These are wonderful. People standing up for acts of justice. You think about this coronavirus thing and how, I mean, my goodness, who knew? that coronavirus actually caused explosive bowel movements to the entire planet. All the toilet paper's gone. What's, what's happening, right? Jesus says we can give a cup of cold water in his name. Well, what's more appropriate right now is giving a roll of toilet paper in Jesus' name. When you hear of somebody doing something that's awesome for somebody else, man, it just, right, it inspires you. And God's calling us. He's inviting us to participate in those good works that actually bring us life and joy because that's who we want to be. Proverbs says, Twice in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to us, but it actually leads to death. There are ways that we think, okay, I'm going to do this, and it's going to make me feel good. And then you do it, and you don't feel good. But when you actually follow the ways of Christ, we love, we serve, we give, forgive, all those things that Jesus stands for, it brings life. He is calling us to that. How's it going to happen? I want to read you Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. I will give them, God will give us, an undivided heart. You know that tug of war you feel? Okay undivided heart and put a new spirit in them and new spirit in you. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, a soft heart. Then they'll follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be there. God, God, all that's being said there is God wants to put desires inside us. He's not telling you have to, you have to. He's going to say, I'm going to put some want to's inside of you. Oh, want to do the things that actually are going to bring you life and joy. Pray and ask God to do just that. He's inviting us to participate in that. The poet Robert Frost, Pulitzer Prize winner. I think he won four Pulitzers, right? The only poet to actually do that. He said this. He says, I'm not a teacher, but an awakener. An awake, awaking us. Jesus is the ultimate awakener. He awakens us to the life that we truly want to live. That is following him. That is doing the things that he did. That is being conformed to his likeness and his image. And when you and I do that, we actually find life and joy, peace, and Sabbath rem healing rest. That's what we do. And he's inviting us to do that. In the Gospel of John, we are constantly being called right, to be awoken to these small steps that leads to big rest. Small steps, big rest. God's calling us, inviting us back. Now, I've got a, I've got a snake here to illustrate a point, okay? Uh, it's, you know, it's a fake snake, right? Little whatever rubber snake. It's about four feet long. I wish it was bigger. I got a guy in my community group uh, that actually has a real snake. Big, big. I, I, I think the name of the snake is Lancelot. You know, you got to really, don't you wonder about people 
who have live snakes, like big live snakes in their house, doesn't that make you, you ever wonder what, type, what kind of person is that? We're thinking about throwing this guy out of our group because of it, but uh, that's a subject for another time. But uh, a big snake. Now, there are a lot of people who are afraid of snakes. I'm being one. He offered to give me the snake for the day, and I turned it down. I'm not deathly afraid of snakes, but I definitely don't want to hold them. I don't want to hold a snake. There was a professor on a college campus. This is the point of the whole story. And he wanted to reach out. So he put his advertisement up at college. Who has a deep fear of snakes and would like to get over the fear? So the people had the desire to get over this fear. Come and meet at X building, whatever, okay? And, and I'm going to help you through. There's going to be some therapy around this snake fear. And so uh, about a dozen or so people show up who are totally freaked out about snakes. They are so freaked about, about snakes that the professor says at the beginning, Here, here's the goal of this entire exercise that we're going to be going through to help you get over your fear. Here's the whole goal of where we're going with this, is that you could have a six-foot boa constrictor laying across your lap and be at total peace. Even when the professor said that, just his words, he didn't show them a snake, he didn't have them touch a snake, he just said the words. A number of people passed out and hit the deck. That's how freaked out they were by snakes. So these people had a powerful fear of snakes. He said, three things we're going to do here. First of all, there's always a choice. You don't have to do anything. I'm not going to force you to do anything at all. You always have a choice. Second thing, we're going to put an example for you, and then we're going to have some small steps for you to do. So puts everybody out of the room, has everybody look through the window, doors locked, doors closed, right? And inside, right, there you got the professor, and the professor takes the big old boa constrictor, six-foot boa constrictor, out of the cage and is sitting down and just holding it, saying, this is the goal for you, to be able to get to this point okay now they had people put on like these full like full protective gears mask everything head to toe no skin showing whatsoever right you can't bite through it really and so they come in and they just look at the snake through the little glass cage that's in right that's all they do and then after they get comfortable being around in all the protective gears anybody want to stick their hand inside the glass cage and just, just, just touch, just touch. You want to do that? And the professor, I'll show you the example. He does it. He puts his hand in. Now, he doesn't have any gloves on, but he puts his hand in. He takes that next step. Anybody want to do that? And a couple people, if they see it, they do it. And then everybody eventually does it. That's really cool. And all along the way, there are these small steps. Always a choice. Jesus never forces us. Jesus sets the example for us. And the steps are small. Now, you know what, everybody? Eventually, every single person that went through that process of those three important steps was able to have a six-foot live boa constrictor laying across their lap. Now, I have a question for you. How long do you think it took for them to get to that point following those three steps? Did it, did it take months? Did it take years? I mean, these are people who were passing out at just at the mention of a snake laying across their lap. How long do you think it took? Three hours. Three hours. Not three days, not three months or three years, three hours. Choice, example, small steps. Choice, example, small steps. That's what's more. Christ gives us choice. He's inviting us, not demanding. He's inviting us to do something we want to do. He gives us the example and he lays out for us small steps. So I want to ask you this week, I'm going to get rid of my snake, okay? I want to ask you to think about this week. What small steps that would lead to big rest. What small steps can you take this week? Pick one thing. Just pick one thing that you want to work on to be more Christ-like, to following Jesus. What's the one thing that you can do? If you don't know what it is, ask somebody close to you. I guarantee you they got something for you to work on, okay? For me, here's what I want to work on. 
I tend to be a little high strung. I tend to be a little impatient. I tend to be quick to speak, slow to listen. And I want to work on that, particularly with those closest to me, like in my house, as we're all stuck in the house right now. I want to be a better listener. So there's a process, and the process is really important. They took free throw players, right? So this is my favorite time of year, uh, March Madness. March Madness isn't happening, so this is a huge bummer for me. But they looked at free throw shooters in basketball, right? And they said, here's a bunch of poor ones. Here's a bunch of great ones. What's the big difference between the two? The poor ones only looked at the end result. They just said, I want to I make more bu- buckets. I want to make more points on the free throw line. The great ones over here, they didn't look at the end result. They looked at the process. Little pieces. I want to keep my elbow in. I want my tempo to be right when I shoot. They looked at the process. They got really specific. So I would like you to think about this. Be very specific. For me, how does that register with me? Number one, I need to recognize this. Here's how I need to be specific on my problem of being more Christ-like. Okay? I need to recognize when I'm entering the danger zone. Like, whoa, danger zone. I can feel it coming on. This is a moment where whoo, I'm rising up. I'm wanting to like be quick to speak and slow to listen. Right. So number one, I got to recognize I am in the danger zone. Number two, I need to slow down. Slow down. I have to force my eyes. I say, John, John, John. Listen, listen, listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Don't listen to respond. That's number two. Number three. I have to say, how can we win, not how can me win? How can we win, not how can me win? And the fourth and final one is this. How about prayer? I can, I can just like, in the midst of something going on, just between me and God, I don't have to close my eyes. I don't have to start speaking out loud. I just, God help me. Jesus help me. I need your help. Put your desires in my heart. Small steps, big rest. What can you do this week? I want to remind you of the three parts of REM. Remember to meditate. Remember to meditate. God's love knows no limit. Walk around all of your life knowing that God's love knows no limit for you or for all of his creation. Number two, you can engage in praise because God is always on the job. He's fighting for you right now, no matter what it is. And finally, he invites us to participate in his works that actually bring us true rest. Rest doesn't come from you putting your feet up. Rest comes from you participating in the good, great works that Christ has created you to do. So let's do them together and experience deep inner healing therapeutic REM rest. Let's say a prayer. God, thank you for everybody that's participating today. Lord, give us rest. Give us deep, inner, healing, therapeutic REM rest during this highly stressful time. And let that rest and let the joy of that rest actually spill over from us onto other people and onto this world. Help us Please, God, we thank you that you're fighting for us and you're going to be bring an end. Be with these brilliant scientists who are looking for an answer. Be with our medical community who are exhausted working with this. Give them strength. We thank you, God, that you're at work to bring an answer. In Christ's name, amen.